cowboy came from out of the west with a snakeskin boots and his bulletproof vest, gang of goons and his big war chest. Fortunate son, he was doubly blessed. Corporate cronies and the chiefs of staff bowing to the image of the golden calf, starting up wars in the name of God's son. Gonna blow us all the way to the kingdom come. Man of God, man of God, that ain't the teachings of a man of God. Man of God, man of God, that ain't the preachings of a man of God. Coalition of the fearful and the judgmental, patricians, politicians, and the fundamentalists. Never have to tell them how the money is spent. You never have to tell them where their freedom went. Homophobes in the high command, waiting for the rapture like it's Disneyland. Hide all the bodies from out of view. Channel all the treasure to the chosen few. Welcome to 
great speeches and interviews on Axis, Sacramento, and The Voice. I'm Steve Lerman. Today's program is about Chris Kyle and the movie American Sniper. Since American Sniper is about a real person in a recent war, I find it to be an interesting commentary on Americans. For me, American Sniper shows how an American can seamlessly morph from a cowboy into a government-trained mass murderer. And I should say that mass murder occurs on average every two weeks in the U.S. according to FBI statistics, which make it rather ordinary crime despite being so heinous. Mass murder, as defined by the FBI, is a single incident where four or more people are killed. When ordinary people are sent to other countries by the government to kill, movies can make them into heroes. In the movie, Chris Kyle was a cool and efficient mass murderer, For the U.S. government, I consider any movie that applauds mass murder to be an evil movie. Despite the apparent coolness and efficiency of the Chris Kyles in the U.S. military, the U.S. lost an unnecessary war in Iraq. Most Americans would like to forget the disaster and the losses that was the Iraq war and ignore the current disaster that is the war on the Islamic State. Many Americans would rather remember the movie American Sniper. They would rather think about our brave heroes fighting the other side, which are portrayed as cruel savages. Iraq has provided Americans with a stage to demonstrate their superiority, at least to themselves. Many Americans don't want the facts. They want the legends and myths. Well, so much for my comments. Now let's move on to other people's comments. And uh, this one would be Abby Martin interviewing independent journalist Rani Kaklik about the film American Sniper and why it's such a controversial choice to receive a Best Picture Oscar nomination. A film glorifying a Marine who killed at least 160 Iraqis has not come without controversy. Joining me now to break it all down is journalist Rania Kalik, who's been following all of this incredibly. Thank you so much for coming on, Rania. Thanks for having me. So can you first briefly explain who Chris Kyle is and why Clint Eastwood decided to make a movie about him? So Chris Kyle's actually a Navy SEAL, or was a Navy SEAL, and um, he wrote a book uh, called American Sniper. Uh, that ended up being a bestseller. He got a lot of attention for it, and so they made it into a movie. Warner Brothers made it into a movie, and um, Clint Eastwood is the director. Uh, and Clint Eastwood has made several war movies. Um, mm-hmm. So this was just kind of like a new one. But this one was surprisingly, I mean, it was it was very in-your-face propaganda. <laughs> right. Well, that's what was so funny. And thank you for correcting me. I said he was a marine. He, he's a seal. Um, when I saw the trailer in the movie theater, I actually laughed out loud because it looked like it was just perpetuating this myth of the human shield. The entire trailer was this human shield kind of imagery that's been invoked from Iraq to Palestine. I mean, did you did you get that sense? You watched it. I feel bad for you. You had to watch the movie. <laughs> I mean, so the movie is actually, I mean, it's a good movie in the sense that it's very well produced. Um, if you are just completely ignorant about the Iraq war, then it seems like a great movie, right? But um, yeah, it's, I mean, there is like a couple moments where there's children around and it, there is a sort of human shield type, mm-hmm. um, type thing going on. But I would say it's actually a little bit worse because what the movie does is almost every single child or woman in the movie or every Iraqi, for that matter, is a terrorist who's like trying to kill U.S. soldiers. Um, and the really creepy part of it is it, it's almost like it elevates uh, Marines to this level, this like status of civilian, where they're like helpless, and Chris Kyle's this godlike figure who has to snipe people <laughs> down to save him. 
And then these children or women who like take up arms against the occupier are just portrayed as like irrational, violent savages, as well as the men. In fact, the only you know, the only time that women and children are, are victims or innocent is when they're being abused by really scary Arab men. I mean, there's one scene where a child is killed with a drill to the head by a man oh called God. the Butcher, who, um, who's like trying to teach his father a lesson for being a collaborator with the Americans. You know, I, I wanted to read an excerpt from Chris Kyle's book, because when you started posting these, that's when I think things really got, started to get real here, because when you really realize what a psychopath this guy is, this is just one excerpt. I mean, he says, my shot saved several Americans whose lives were clearly worth more than this woman's twisted soul. I can stand before God with a clear conscience about doing my job, but I truly, deeply hated the evil that this woman possessed. I hate it to this day. Savage, despicable evil. That's what we were fighting in Iraq. I mean, of course, the movie portrays him as this kind of tortured soul. What other examples of blatant sociopathy did you uncover in his memoir? So, yeah, he calls them savages throughout his book. Uh, another thing that he does is he blatantly, I mean, he's very openly in the beginning says, I loved, I loved, like, he loved what he was doing. He loved killing people because um, they were all savages. They deserve to die. Uh, he says the only regret he has is that he only wishes he had killed more. Um, and I mean, there's other things too. Like he says that if he could, he'd kill everybody who was holding a Quran. Um, and there's one part that's, that's, I mean, it makes you giggle because he actually says that he, well, he, he believes that the reason that people are trying to kill American soldiers is because the American soldiers aren't Muslim. Um, oh my, my brain's about to explode. Yeah. I mean, and even as a passenger there about beating animals so hard as hand breaks. I mean, great guy, great, great job, dude. Uh, but you know, what's amazing is this all comes back to kind of his ignorance and his just like tunnel vision of why they're even there. I mean, zero context the film gave about why Al-Qaeda just, you know, just makes it seem like they just appeared in Iraq, as you pointed out, or why we even were in Iraq in the first place. I mean, talk about that. So the film is interesting because it doesn't even touch on Iraq except for the Twin Towers fall. He gets married and then he goes to war. So for the poorly informed, which is a lot of Americans when it comes to this war, uh, they would have left with the impression that um, that the Iraq, you know, that Iraq and Saddam Hussein, you know, played a role in 9/11, which is not true. Um, and then Al Qaeda shows up, and there was a point where Al Qaeda did was in Iraq, right? But it didn't happen until after the U.S. invaded. In fact, it was a direct result of the U.S. invasion and occupation, um, as is the rise of ISIS. Um, the U.S. invasion occupation fueled ISIS um, and destroyed Iraq, and you don't see any of that in the movie. It's, I mean, the U.S. atrocities are just completely erased. What you get instead of this, is this racist atrocity porn um, where just Arabs are being mowed down and sometimes soldiers are killed, but they're humanized before they're killed. Um, so you feel sad. And, I mean, it's just, it's, the, it's, it's a brilliant piece of propaganda. Yeah, and it worked, right? I mean, it worked. I mean, not only is it just this huge box office hit, the responses to the movie have been actually revolting. Um, people on Twitter declaring that they're ready to kill ragheads after seeing it. I, I know that you've posted, you had a Storify uh, summary of all of this. And, and as I understand, you and Max Blumenthal, another journalist, uh, your colleague, have even gotten multiple death threats for simply criticizing the film. Yeah, so we started criticizing the film when it first um, it came out in like select theaters on Christmas Day. And we, we just went on Twitter and we're like, hey, look at the things this guy said. They were really awful. Like, you know, this guy's being turned into a hero in this movie. He lied a lot. I mean, he lied. He says he claims that he went to New Orleans and shot looters, shot 30 black looters. Yeah, and it, nobody could confirm that this happened. And there's other stories like this. Um, where he just blatantly lies. But so we just kind of exposed this racism that's already kind of been documented and people got really angry. The first, you know, right wing websites got mad. 
and posted about it. And then we just got this deluge of death threats and rape threats of people saying, like, I hope ISIS rapes you and other people saying, you know, I'm going to shoot you. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's happened again now. I've gotten a few death threats, but this time it's interesting because what I've noticed is that people coming out of the movie, like you said, are like inspired to shoot and kill Arabs and Muslims. Um, it's like they're coming out of this movie, you know, um, yeah. high on patriotism, yeah. <laughs> high on nationalism. Yeah. And, um, and at this point, like it's gotten so bad, the American, um, Arab American Anti-Discrimination Committee has uh, basically said that they're working with law enforcement to deal oh with these threats God. and address them. This is insane. Uh, you know, I can't help but talk about Bradley Cooper, this kind of just ridiculous douchebag. Hollywood heartthrob been making the round on the media claiming that this is a completely apolitical movie. Uh, let's take a listen to him on uh, Jake Tapper. The, the, the spirit of Chris was, was in you and, and left you a few, a few weeks. Well, I mean, it, not to get too hokey about it, but I mean, uh, it definitely felt like somebody was watching over the whole production of the movie. And, uh, and I felt, you know, it was a very daunting task to play the legend. I, I actually felt like Chris was right next to me the whole time. I really did. And, uh, and everybody, I never felt anyone ever sort of treat me in a way that I wasn't Chris. Wow. I, I, uh, I mean, he goes on to say, you know, this shouldn't have been about whether or not we, we should have gone to Iraq, whether the war was worth fighting. How could a movie about a man who killed 160 Iraqis not be about the Iraq war? Uh, I mean, that's a good point. You know, the Iraq war killed at least 500,000 Iraqis. That's a lot of people, and it's completely erased from the movie. But on top of that, something that, that they keep claiming is it's apolitical. This is about soldiers and about how it's hard for soldiers to deal with the war and at home, and it's a pro-soldier movie. If that's the case, this movie basically legitimizes these bombing campaigns that we're involved with in the Middle East, which actually puts soldiers in more danger. Exactly. In harm's way. So it does the opposite. Um, exactly. And you mentioned that he's been nominated, right? Yeah. I don't know if you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah. He's we're, been nominated. We're out of time. I'm so oh, sorry. I know ahead. there's so much more to say. <laughs> Thank you so much, Randy O'Kellick, investigative journalist, dispatches from the underclass. Really appreciate you coming on. So many years of catastrophe, more than six million refugees, it could be you and your family, forced from your home and your history. We are the people and this is our time, stand up, sing out for Palestine. Your faith or community This is a crime against humanity Gaza turned into a prison camp Apartheid war divides the West Bank We are the people and this is our time Stand up, sing out for Palestine We'll break down the wall Freedom for
You dead locked by doctrine, locked like a box you're locked in A classroom bombs are dropped in and the pain is locked in Shame on this brave new world you're lost in And the lives is casting like a toxin A penetration of hate, generations later still boxed in Children dead cause we're led by the bigoted small graves Filled instead and I'm sick of it We are the people and this Coming up next, Keith Giles offers his viewpoint after watching the film American Sniper and the slow death of the myth of redemptive violence. Keith represents a viewpoint that we seldom hear. Keith describes himself as a teacher, author, copywriter, activist, and servant of Jesus living in Orange County, California. Since 2006, he and his family have been part of a house church that gives away 100% of all offerings to the poor in their community. Hello and welcome to Subversive Radio. I'm your host, Keith Giles. Thank you for listening in. Um, this podcast is going to be uh, sort of a semi-review slash reaction uh, commentary after watching the film American Sniper. Um, there's been a whole lot of chatter if you've been online, um, Twitter and Facebook and blogs, etc., of people both defending the film and Chris Kyle, the topic, the subject of the film, um, who was the supposedly the most lethal sniper in, um, uh, I guess, during the war in Iraq. Uh, but um, but also, you know, people supporting him as well as um, kind of trashing him and the film, or at least criticizing the film and criticizing Chris Kyle for various reasons. And uh, so I wanted to just kind of offer my reaction. And I have Whereas I have read a lot of uh, these articles and blogs, and I have shared several of them on my Twitter, um, and I've had conversations um, with people about the subjects that it brings up, which I've been talking about anyway. I've been talking about uh, violence, nonviolence, uh, following Jesus in the, the direction of uh, proactive, preemptive love as compared to uh, a nationalism that supports and uh, applauds and justifies war, just war theory and all those kinds of things. So 
Uh, but I wanted to wait until I obviously until I had actually seen the film myself. So I had some time this afternoon, and uh, I just uh, only a few hours ago returned from seeing the film. It's all very fresh in my mind, and I wanted to just give you some things off the top of my head, the kind of impressions and things that I had, um, the kind of things I felt like the, the movie stirred up in me. Okay, so honestly, I guess what um, when I when I saw the film and walked out of the theater and got in my car to drive home. These are the thoughts that were just kind of running through my mind. I was raised uh, from the youngest I can remember, um, some of my earliest memories, uh, really raised by television uh, and then raised, uh, you know, my, my entertainment was television. And, and growing I grew up in, in the, oh, by the time I was old enough to actually watch and understand what I was looking at, probably late 60s, early 70s. You know, all my heroes had guns. Uh, Matt Dillon and Gunsmoke and uh, James West from the Wild Wild West show, and he was my favorite. And, uh, you know, Beretta and Starsky and Hutch and um, James Bond and Mannix and, you know, everything. And just, I just grew up and that's just the way it was. The good guys had a gun and the bad guys had a gun and the good guys won because they were better with their gun and they were good and they were right. And so uh, bad guys lost. But it was just never a thought for me. I mean, the... You know, you you I grew up. I loved cowboys. I loved I loved uh, guns. Um, I had a toy box full of guns, and I had every kind of gun. You know, I had rifles and pistols. I had military guns to play army. I had cowboy guns to play cowboy. I had secret agent guns to play secret agent. Um, I had I even had flintlocks and muskets to play Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. Um, because guns, you know, that that was just what you needed. Everywhere I went, I had a gun. I, had, I, I used to wear cowboy boots, and I would keep a gun or a knife in my boot all the time. We'd go out to a restaurant, i have a little toy gun in my boot. I thought I was cool, you know. And violence, I guess, because I was raised on television and I was raised on that kind of redemptive violence, it's never bothered me. You know, I, I have just never had a point in my life where I was shocked by it, offended by it. Um, frankly, don't understand why people do get upset about about violence. Even raising my own children, I'm, I'll freely admit, um, we only ask them to look away from a movie we're watching if there's sex or nudity. But we never ask them to look away from violence because I've just never, you know, I, it's the way I was raised. I, I just am realizing I was, I've been raised on a steady diet of violence and taught to see it as it's just what you do to tell stories. I mean, it's part of our entertainment. It's part of our, our mythology, you know. Um, if you read a book and there was no violence in it, what was the point? You know, if you watched a movie and there was no uh, shootout or a car chase or explosion, then why watch it? You know, there, how could you even do something like that? I can even remember a time in my life. This is going to sound really stupid, but but it, I think it illustrates what I'm saying. I remember a significant time in my life uh, when I was probably 12 or 13. And there was a TV show that came on. You know, there were so many TV shows about cops and private investigators and spies and, you know, lawyers and all that kind of stuff. But there was one show that I that stood out to me for its uniqueness and its creativity and its uh, inventiveness. And it was a, a show called Banachek. I think it was George Papard, wasn't it? And and the thing about Banachek that that even as a young man watching this show that, that stood out to me and was so curious to me was that Banachek didn't carry a gun. And I thought that was so unique. I thought that was so inventive. Wow, a hero who doesn't carry a gun, who doesn't want a gun, who doesn't need a gun. And that was the first time I think I remember thinking, huh, you can be a hero without a gun. You could be a good guy and not need or even want a gun. 
But nevertheless, I have been raised my whole life and my whole culture has been steeped in this idea of guns. And when I got old enough to shoot, I was probably 12 or 13. I remember very vividly my dad taking me out, driving me out. We lived in Texas. So we drove out to the desert, a little place where we could get a backstop. And my dad had a 22 single shot bolt action rifle. And uh, taught me all the rules you know, from the beginning. You know, you never point a gun at anybody. You, you treat every gun as if it's loaded. Um, you never put your finger on the trigger until you're ready to shoot. You always have the gun on safety, uh, things like that. Um, you know, you, you sight down the barrel. You, you squint your eye. You, know, you beat it in. You take a deep breath. You, you squeeze the trigger slowly. You never jerk on the trigger. Uh, you know, you exhale. And when you exhale, you slowly squeeze, squeeze the trigger. Those kinds of things. And uh, I remembered all of it. And I remember shooting and enjoying shooting. Shooting and, and as soon as I was old enough and had a job and I could raise my own money, I bought my own guns. I had a 22 automatic pistol. I had a Ruger Mark II uh, 22 pistol that was accurate, the most accurate gun I ever fired in my life. I had a Winchester Defender shotgun with a riot barrel and a uh, pump action and a pistol grip. Uh, I had a uh, Browning high power 9mm pistol with Packmeyer grips. And in fact, I think the beginning of the end, the beginning of the breaking down of that mythology for me was when I met Wendy and I was in college and I knew she was the one I loved and I knew she was the one I wanted to marry. And I saw in her a love and a compassion for other people that I wished I had. I I didn't have it and I wanted it. And I knew that was something that I needed to be near her and around her for that to rub off on me. And I remember going and selling that Packmeyer grip uh, 9mm Browning high-power pistol. Brand new. I bought it brand new. I paid over $500 for that thing. Sold it, and uh, I think to the dollar when I went to go buy Wendy's uh, engagement ring. Uh, that's it. What I sold that gun for is exactly what it cost to buy that engagement ring. And that was, to me, was the beginning of beginning to shed that mythology of redemptive violence. This idea that if we just kill enough people, we can make the world a better place. And I began to doubt that. I began to see that maybe that wasn't true. And it's taken a long time for me. I've been married 25 years. It's only been in the last 10 years or so that I think I've really aggressively begun to take seriously what it means to follow Jesus, to take seriously the implications of Jesus' words that what credit is it to me if I only love those who love me? That everyone does that, pagans, unbelievers do that, but that followers of Jesus, people who are transformed by his love, love others uh, with that same transformational love, with the hope that they might also be transformed. In a few minutes, you'll hear more from Keith Giles and his views of American Sniper. Over the last half hour, you heard Eliza Gilkinson do Man of God. One World did Freedom for Palestine. Jim Frank did As Time Goes By. And behind me is Herb Albert doing Aranhais. 